0: This is efficiency on demand. On demand. High performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness. Craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is efficiency on demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency on Demand. Today, I have a wonderful, wonderful person on this podcast episode. We are connected through a book writing, can I say retreat? I don't know if it's a retreat, but it's like a group, virtual book writing course group. (laughs) And now I would basically say they're all my friends and... We've got to write this book together for already two months and something, and I can say that I'm definitely having not finished my book yet, but I'm selling it already, so there's that. (laughs) And yeah, I love her story. She will share a bit with us today on this podcast, which is why she's here, but I want to welcome her to the show first, and her name is Sharita Marshall. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me, Monique. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Yeah, thank you for taking the time. I know it's late all you f- uh, for you already, so thanks for being here. Before we get real deep into your story, just tell everyone who you are, what you do, where you're hanging out right now. Sure. So um, like Monique
2: said, my name is Shreda Marshall. I am the author of upcoming book, My Mosaic Life, and also owner of the wellness product company called um, Her Divine Alchemy. And right now I'm hanging out in Tempe, Arizona. So I'll be here for a while. And depending on, you know, how 2020 goes, we'll see where I land at the end, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I've been seeing this number 2020 almost every day. So when in Germany, we have 24 hour times basically we don't have like a.m. p.m. right yeah and so my laptop still has a 24 hour kind of time thing and I keep seeing 2020 and I asked my coach what does it mean and she said like it's like the breakdown before the breakthrough and I was like oh that's the year right yeah I can see that everything breaks down and in 2021 supposed to be the breakthrough I'm like all right let's see how that goes all right, so where do we start? Okay, share a little bit with me. How did you grow up?
2: Well, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I lived primarily with my, my mom, my dad. My parents were divorced at the time, but I grew up um, around my cousins, my grandmother, my aunt. So I would say I probably was, grew up middle class, middle-class black American life. So it was a good life. We traveled around the country. We had family reunions in the South. So we have a really close-knit large family. So it it was it was a good upbringing. I, I had fun. I definitely wouldn't trade it for now because I did a lot of stuff that I do not want recorded in any way Mm -hmm. so I had a really good life before social media. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I think about it quite often, how it must be to grow up now, because I wasn't I mean, I grew up before the -the internet was a thing really, you know, or yeah. I mean, yeah, kind (laughs) of. I think we're we are kind of almost the same age, I would say, more or less. I think.
2: Yeah, I'm a little older. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I made it just a bit younger. so There's that. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, in East Germany, because I was born behind the wall, right? We just didn't have any any resources to to buy phones or like have this internet stuff. So I grew up knocking on doors. Hi, is Sandra at home? Yeah. Nope uh-huh <laughs> can I come back no okay <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean so and I don't think I would yeah I think it's like do you, you have kids right or one yes I have a
2: now eight-year-old daughter she just turned eight July 3rd so yes.
1: Yeah. oh happy birthday mm-hmm. so how does she grow up with all of the social media stuff
2: She I had to pretty much have her go through withdrawal from YouTube because she was addicted to YouTube like really bad and I had to stop it because every time I turned around she was quoting something some life hack because apparently she got addicted to the life hack videos on YouTube and I'm just like we're not life hacking everything in the house like it's fine (laughs) so (laughs) but she's used to that instantaneous entertainment and if something doesn't Mm -hmm. keep her attention she's like okay well I 12 million other things to to get my attention. So, and then now with the pandemic and her not being able to, you know, be around other kids and go outside and play, it's it's become a very electronic focused childhood which I can't wait to kind of just nip that in the bud cuz I want her to be a child and experience life outside of electronics.
1: Right. Yeah. Wow, that's definitely Yeah, this uh, this is a well. Yeah, this is definitely a time to be alive. Yeah, (laughs) I sometimes don't even have words. I'm like looking at 2020. I'm like, mm, yeah, looks like a bullshit bingo card to me.
2: (laughs) I'm saying, I feel like we're stuck inside like the Jumanji Game of Thrones season that just is dragging on. Right. Who started that shit? I don't know who picked up the board game and rolled the dice, but I'm gonna need them to complete the game. Like, I can't. Like, I can't keep doing this because, I mean, stuff just (sighs) popping out of nowhere. At first, it was, you know, (sighs) the murder hornets and then they went away magically. They just disappeared. No one knows what happened to them. And now we got the...
1: Oh, they were actually there?
2: Yeah, they were somewhere. And then all of a sudden, they just... (laughs) All I know is that they landed somewhere and then they just vanished and nobody talked about them again. So I don't really know what happened. So I'm just like, okay.
1: (laughs) I can't even, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I thought it was a joke. No, it was
2: not a joke. It was real.
1: They were tracking (laughs) everything. It was
2: real. I saw pictures. It was real.
1: all right okay well you know i'm still waiting for my aliens to come and and do something but they seem to be scared to land here which i can't blame them so (sighs) all right yeah i wouldn't come here if
2: i was alien it's it's ghetto earth is ghetto right now
1: (laughs) yeah they probably think they have the wrong video game you know (laughs) they're like wait no that's not what we put in here (laughs) oh my god all right. So, when was the first time in your life that you turned around and looked at it and be basically like, "Well, that looks like bullshit bingo to me"? I
2: think for me, it was kind of growing up, and because I'm I'm tall, like I'm five ten. I might be five eleven if I if I really actually measure it myself accurately. But um, I've always been tall and thin, and I have a dark complexion. So. And then I used to wear glasses. So it was just a combination of a lot of aesthetics that I used to get teased about for being tall and then teased about being thin and then teased about wearing glasses and then teased about my complexion. And it was just like, I just felt like no matter what I did, it was just, there was just going to be something wrong with me. And I was like, that's just fucking bullshit. Like, I can't win.
1: Right. So how did you work on that? Or did you work on it? I didn't.
2: I didn't for a really, 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 really long time. I didn't grow into my skin until probably I was maybe 20, 22. Mm -hmm. And then I started Mm -hmm. to figure out that, you know, I needed to love on myself and love myself as I was.
1: Right, right. So I know, and, and that's why we're also here, there's something that was happening in your life that brought you to the point of having to go through a extensive healing journey, which also brought you to write your book.
2: Yeah. So uh,
1: tell me about how that started.
2: Well, I had a couple of iterations of therapy. The first time was when my mom took me to group therapy for kids of divorced parents to help me deal with that. And it was more of a kumbaya session. It really wasn't therapy. It was just like, we're talking about our parents that are not together. It's not really okay. So I really didn't think anything of it. And then as I got older and I just started seeing that I was having these patterns with my existence, either in relationships or work or just anything and I was just realized I was just really unhappy and I was just angry all the time and I just didn't want to keep feeling that way and I didn't know how to stop it so it just kind of got to a point where I tried therapy again but it was just like I don't think I was really ready to do the work and then I hit a wall of very deep depression where it was just like I wasn't suicidal, but I wasn't doing what I needed to do to actually live. I was just existing. And I just got tired of it. I just got tired of just existing. And I knew there had to be a better way, but I just didn't know how to get there. So, mm-hmm. and I knew I couldn't get there myself because if I could have gotten there myself, I would have. So <laughs> that was the first revelation. Like, obviously, I'm not going to be able to do this by myself. So then I really started therapy and we started looking at the patterns of behavior that I had that led to the cycle of relationships and experiences that did not serve me and ended up with me feeling less than or broken or dirty or shamed or whatever it is that I felt. And I learned that a lot of the way I felt was me taking ownership of other people's actions. And that's something Mm -hmm. that I could not be responsible for. So that was the first thing. And then there's a saying where it says some people are like, people are addicted to drama and they always want to have drama in their life. And the more accurate term is that people are addicted to trauma because the trauma creates the emotion. And the emotion is usually what people are addicted to. For me, I was addicted to the pain that I felt all the time because my pain gave me, um, I won't say an excuse, but it gave me a rationale for me to shut down the way that I would. And I wouldn't let people in. I wouldn't really care for myself the way that I should have because I had this pain. I was like, you're not you're not, you don't deserve to heal or you don't deserve to be happy or you made this mistake. So this is your punishment, your consequence. So the pain was really what I used as my rationale for my pretty much my hurt.
1: Yeah, I can very much resonate with that. What if you don't mind me asking, what trauma caused this uh, pain? Um, I
2: think it, was, it wasn't necessarily one trauma. It was a series of traumas, but the one that I was talking about in our group was a sexual trauma. One thing that I know is that most women don't talk about sexual trauma, part of which is that there is a male version of what sexual trauma is and they equate sexual mm. trauma to penetration and that's not what sexual trauma is sexual trauma does not equate <gasps> sexual penetration so i Amen. Think- so I think that's the that's the demon that a lot or most women contend with is that they think, well, I wasn't physically penetrated, so therefore it's not sexual trauma that I experienced. No, it was sexual trauma. It can be sexual coercion. It can be sexual manipulation. It can be sexual uh, abuse without actual penetration. There are so many different aspects of sexual trauma that are not directly connected to being penetrated that women experience. and. What I said in my book is that I, outside of two women who I have not talked to this about, I don't know a woman in my life that has not experienced some type of sexual trauma. Not one.
1: Yeah. And it's horrendous because when we talk to men, they are so, I want to say blind, but it's actually ignorant. Because we know ignorance is bliss. So Mm -hmm. it's really blissful to know that so many women around them are so happy and free and they're so open-minded in the ba- in the bedroom. And I'm like, no, many of them just suppress because they think that's the way to freedom. And that is what they have to do. And with my sexual traumas, I've been told so many times, This is not rape. Rape does look very different. You'll be tracked off the road. And and I'm like, this is the biggest bullshit. Yeah. This is not how it looks like. 80% of the times it's people that you know. And it doesn't have to be this one body part. It can look in so many different ways. Like, well, yeah, your rape doesn't count. Oh, well, thank you. But you know that. And I even had female friends saying these things. Well, friends, you know, like not friends, (laughs) fake friends. And it's like, it's crazy because it, it makes you think you're crazy. Yeah. It makes you doubt yourself. It makes you not only feel all of these emotions and go through all of this shit I want to say 2020 because now for me 2020 is the word for shit so so (laughs) it's like (laughs) it's like all of these things but you then have friends and for those people who don't see us because you can't see us I make like these quote marks friends that, that are not friends they are then telling you well you're wrong anyways you shouldn't be feeling this way like nothing happened to you and I'm like oh my god how can people like So how was it for you when you were trying to acknowledge the hurt and the pain? And then I want to take a good guess of you had similar experiences, people telling you this is not what happened.
2: Yeah. So for me, I had to, my therapist actually had to acknowledge what had happened, because for me, it was someone that the first time it was someone that I knew and I didn't, I stopped fighting him because I felt like if I don't fight him, it's not really rape. So in my mind, it was like, okay, well, if if I don't fight him, it's not really rape. Then I'm not the victim. I'm not a rape victim. I'm not a sexual assault victim because women are not supported like that. Like, when women go and say they were raped, half the time they're either not believed or they're blamed for the assault themselves, saying, well, you brought it on yourself, you shouldn't have been out after 930, you shouldn't have been wearing this, you shouldn't have been wearing that. It's like, it doesn't matter if a woman is butt naked and says she wants it. If she says no at some point, that's it, it needs to stop. It can't be, oh, well, you you should not have started in the first place. That's no justification for it. It doesn't matter that's just the same thing. Like if a man was standing there butt naked and he said, I want it and I'm decided, okay, well now I must, you know, sodomize you. They're like, oh no, no, no. I can't. I said, no, no, it doesn't matter. You were butt naked and you said you wanted it at some point. So if you can't, if you can't say the same thing when it's you as a man, then you can't say it as a woman. So for me, it was getting to that understanding that yes, it was a sexual assault and a sexual trauma in the fact that I didn't want it. And I felt pressure to do it. And then I didn't know what would happen if I, you know, really said no. So for me, it was getting to that point and then understanding that I didn't deserve it. It wasn't my fault. I didn't cause this male to think that he had the right to do this to me. That was a decision that he made. And I have a right to understand that and feel the emotions around it and, you know, move past it and not let it hold me hostage.
1: Yeah, this is a really, really, really big thing. And I think a lot of women, especially if they don't report it, choose to not report it, cannot report it for whatever reason. I mean, there's so many reasons because I see a lot of questions like, why didn't you report it? Well, I can give you a whole fucking list why I didn't report it. Yeah. Like I, I have, I can write a book that is literally just giving you reasons, bullet point reasons that if I can fill a whole book on it, maybe two or three, why I didn't report it, the first one. And so I think they also then start blaming themselves for either not reporting it or then because it isn't reported, it isn't real. And then it's like so much, as you said, because we're not supported and we are often blamed especially the clothing. Oh my God, I really hate that. Like the amount of t- times I was asked, what did you wear? And I tell them, like, what do you mean? What did I wear to a doctor's appointment who was working on my back? Like, what do you think I'm going to wear? Not a lot of clothes because they had to burn my back with like cups that fire up. Like, should they burn through my clothes? Or what do you think? It's like, these questions are so not only irrelevant, but also disrespectful in a whole nother way. So I want to look at how did you get after you went through this whole process to unpack the, maybe to acknowledge first, but also to unpack the whole thing, which I think is a whole different package of being addicted to the trauma.
2: Yeah. So I am a professional, professional, com- Compartmentalizer. I forgot to put that in my bio, but <laughs> I I compartmentalize um, events and incidences and experiences into file cabinets, and that was something I have. I actually have I have a room. It's not just a file cabinet anymore. It's a room. It's a room of sexual experiences and the trauma, the good and bad and ugly are in that room. So I had to unpack when I first started unpacking that, and then. I realized that I was holding on to, I was addicted to the trauma of that and that pain where I felt unclean and dirty. And I felt like, you know, I couldn't speak up for myself and I, I deserved it. And so that spilled over into the relationships that I had with men. And I was in wrong relationships and I was in relationships where I wasn't supported and protected and felt secure. And then that goes into other sexual experiences that I have where I didn't really want to, but I did it just to get along or to make him happy. And then it just really showed just the decisions that I made based off of this trauma over here, because I just held on to that pain so much. And that pain was just like, well, it's okay for me not to have healthy relationships because I really don't deserve healthy relationships. And so, yeah, it, is, it, mm-hmm. it, be, it becomes this whole thing where you're just like, you look at your choices and you're like, okay, I made that choice because of this. And then I made that choice because of this. And then I made that choice because of this. And you start to draw the connections to the, the trauma and the pain that you hold onto and how that just gives you a justification for the new experiences that you decide to have in life. And at some point you have to, you have to sever that otherwise you just keep mm-hmm. repeating the same cycle over and over again and you get stuck in this hamster wheel you look up one day and you're like how have I not moved
1: yeah or been thrown around like this hamster who got drunk yes. in the hamster wheel and just been like in a washing machine kind of thing you lost orientation and been like Pfft.
2: yeah exactly
1: Oh God. Okay. I have two things and I'm going to say them both because I'm really good in forgetting about what I want to ask. So the one thing is, how often do you think we women do things in a relationship to make the men happy without actually wanting it, but not being really aware that we don't really want it?
2: So I think women are programmed from a young age that it's all about pleasing a man. It's all about making sure his needs, desires, and wants are fulfilled. I, I do believe mm-hmm. that from a patriarch, patriarchal, I'm not saying the word right, but just from a male-dominated society, we, especially little girls, are programmed to please and take care of men, no matter what. And it's, you know, you see it in fairy tales where the damsel in distress, the princess is waiting on some guy to save her, and then she has to give him a kiss. She can't give him a handshake and a thank you, or send him a card. She has to give him a kiss and marry him. Why is that the option? Why is that the only option? If you save me, I have to marry you. Why can't it be thanks for getting me out of this when I was stuck in a jam? I appreciate you. Have a good life. I can be on my way. No, it's like I got I owe you something, and this is like that 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 whole yeah. because I am a woman and you are a male, I owe you something for whatever it is that you do, be it help me smile at me. Like the whole thing about, you know, men telling women to smile more. And it's just, it's this whole thing where it's just like, (sighs) men feel like we are here to enact any pleasure or desire that they have. And that's our only reason for existing. So there are women that get into these relationships and marriages where They've been conditioned that I have to please him at all costs. I remember watching, I forgot, it was it was some type of reality show and it was about these women and they were all married and they were married to preachers. And so one of them was engaged to a preacher. She was like, well, what advice you have? And they were all like, well, you have to have the spirit of yes. And she was like, well, what does that mean? She was like, well, if your husband wants it, you have to always say yes to it and give him whatever he wants because that's your husband. And I'm like, why? If I don't want it, why do I have to give it? like that, but that's how we're conditioned is that we are here only to fulfill a man's desire and that's it. So there are a lot of women that just do things just to say they have a man, to say they have a marriage, to say that they're financially comfortable, to say they're with the father of their children or whatever, just to to have, I won't call it a facade, but to have a label of their existence connected to a man ouch yeah
1: (laughs) i mean that is so real but i think i just want to get a dog and be okay with it you know (laughs) it's like i'm or i just stick to the elephants i'm like nope this is this is not going to happen it's very interesting because the exact way that you described that is basically how the first time I was raped for over a year happened, and I couldn't see that. And that is uh, is way too real. So I remembered my question and I wrote it down because I tend to forget a lot of things. (laughs) So the other question was in regards to basically woman being stuck in that hamster wheel, how often or how much do you think it has to do with, if we change and we allow ourselves to have happy and actual happy relationships with someone who is basically not stuck in the system, how much fear is connected to us woman believing that maybe one day we could lose this relationship with the same things that we got to this point does it make sense yeah
2: yeah and that that actually was the last relationship that I was in was that I didn't I was in such a fearful state of losing him losing the relationship that I put up with a lot of shit that I should not have but it it got, it comes to that that fearful mindset that that lack mentality and it also comes when we are not taught how to create healthy boundaries for ourselves and and stick to it because whether or not we actually believe it when a woman sets a healthy boundary with a man with a with, with an actual man not a male but a man he respects it and honors it i've seen it so, but we've been conditioned that in this bachelor, bachelorette society that we always have to have a competition for attention, no matter if that attention is really good for us or not. We feel like there's just a, a lack mentality, like there's not enough men or not enough good men, not enough good women, not enough good relationships. And there are, but right now we're stuck in, there are not a lot of healthy relationships. And that's the problem is that people are still walking around hurt and wounded and not doing the work that they need to heal to be in a healthy relationship. Because you can get a a woman can get into a relationship like every other second if she wants to. She can just waltz in and waltz out of relationships because that's just how it's set up. But the point is being in a healthy relationship and being with someone who when you see those red flags, those red flags shouldn't be an invitation for you to become mother and therapist and you know sexual healer. You need to be like, "Hey, you got some stuff you need to go work on, so I'm going to go over here while you go over there cuz I can't no, I can't be all that for you. That's not my responsibility."
1: Yeah. Wow. So how do you communicate stuff like that? Cuz I mean, I've been there. I've done that. I got all the coffee cups and t-shirts. And yet, I definitely choose to not be in a relationship because I haven't seen someone who checks all the boxes. Yeah, for
2: me, I, I got to the point where it was just like, this is the type of relationship that I want to be in. Here, Here are my deal breakers. And I had to be explicit, like, these are the deal breakers that I have. Right now, I see that you have some anger issues with X, Y, and Z. I can't do that. Like, if you, like, I can be your friend, we can be cool. I'll love you from afar. But if you want me the way that I show up in relationships, then that's something that you have to have worked out. It's non-negotiable. And I had to be okay with them saying, well, I don't want to do that and walking away. Once I got okay with the walking away, either one of us walking away, then it was just like, well, you know, it's fine. But I had to be clear about what I was willing to accept and what I was willing to not accept in my life. And once I became clear on that, I had to say that I deserve this boundary. I deserve to have this peace. I deserve to have love in this way. And I'm not going to accept anything less. And if the person that I'm interested in can't provide that, then that's okay. We're just not going to be together like that.
1: Yeah. Wow. How do you think trauma addiction shows up on a common basis? Obviously, it's different for everyone, depends on the trauma. But let's just say in connection with sexual trauma, because that's what we are talking about, how would it often show up
2: there what i've seen in not just myself but having conversation with other women that have gone through sexual traumas is typically a triggered visceral reaction to something so yeah so usually trauma trauma induced reactions are usually based on certain triggers And typically for women that have said some type of sexual trauma, it has to do with touch, some type of visual that they're seeing, if it's like something that's maybe pornographic or someone calling them a certain name or something. Because what I've noticed is that I would have visceral reactions to certain things that under regular circumstances, I should not have like gone from zero to 60 in like three seconds. But that was my reaction to it because it triggers something within me so for most women they get a label of being an angry woman or a hateful or bitter woman and it's not really that that's not what they are but it's just that they have these triggers and once they get triggered that's their gut reaction because they immediately go into a fight or flight mode and when you have yeah. So when you have that fight or flight reaction, then your response is going to be primal. It's either you're going to go off into a rage or you're just going to just bust up and leave. That's your only two options when you go into fight or flight. And that's typically what happens when you have a triggered trauma.
1: So how do you work on these triggers or do you actually work on these triggers or do you work on something before before?
2: No, I, I worked on the triggers because I needed to understand what they were based in. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was, you know, anytime a man raised his voice to me, that was a trigger for me. And then I would just raise, them, mm-hmm. you know, and I would just be like, so what, what are we about to do? So, cause you getting real loud with me and I'm about to get real loud with you. <laughs> so it, it was like that, but I had to. Realized that my trigger was from, you know, a male trying to dominate me by being aggressive with me and being louder than me and trying to suppress my voice. So anytime I felt like somebody was trying to suppress my voice, I was triggered and I automatically got into that defensive. We can go tit for tat. It's up to you how, but you're not gonna win this. So it. And then for me, I, I had to do it in therapy because it's not something that I could recognize myself. Mm-hmm. But it it did get to a point where I was just like, okay, I am having a certain kind of extreme reactions to things. And I feel like it's probably not based off of that incident. It's something else that's triggering me to react like that.
1: Right. Yeah, I can relate to definitely the, the voice, although I'm really sound sensitive in very different ways through my nervous system. But also like if someone raises their voice, that's definitely in many different ways from many different backgrounds a, a red flag for me. It's I think I have both reactions. The either I snap at you or I walk away or I just do both. Mm-hmm. Snap then walk. Yeah. <laughs> um so I would like, if you don't mind ask another question, because I know your book goes deep into your personal experiences. And uh, right now we're in 2020. Uh, we know that's kind of a code word for a shit show. And we also know that right now we are having a lot of discussions and revelations around racial issues. Mm-hmm. So I would like to know what you think as a black woman, how this has been a different experience for you than for maybe white woman, as in the support that you get or not get, or maybe have you been, do you feel like you've been more disbelieved or the reactions online, can you see a difference there?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the reaction of white women for me has been and, and I think it's always been is it's always been worse than white men, because um, I feel like most black, especially black Americans, we know where most white men stand because they're blatant. Mm-hmm. About it. But white women right. have this feminist, you know, live thing where it's like oh no I can't no you actually don't you are stuck in your white privilege and your white you know fragility and if anything tries to come and take away your comfort and your protection you will use your white femininity as a weapon of death against people of color you will do that You will shut down conversations. You will shut down legislation. You put Trump in office. White women, you did that on your own. you All by your little Mm -hmm. lonesome selves. Y'all went in there and did that against your own femininity. Like you put a man in the office that said he's fine with grabbing women's pussies. And he's talking about, you know, his pageantries where he's over teen pageants. But that's okay for you. So For me, my biggest problem has been with the white fragility of white women and their refusal to not even acknowledge the issue, but to really be a force of of systemic change.
1: Yeah, I I just wanna suggest every white woman to go back and skip back to another 30 second and listen to that again. Because what a lot of white women don't understand, and I'm sitting here being white, I'm just reminding you guys out there again, just in case you forgot for a second, that I've been through this whole process too of feeling pissed off and being attacked, and well, no, I'm supporting you. So, and, uh, but then having to see that I, didn't fully do that. And, and it's been, and I think we had this, like, was it on the call with Tesh, Tish, Tish, Tesh, Tesh? Tesh? Uh, you know, the PR lady, yeah. the amazing PR, where she spoke about Leila F. Saad in her book, Me and Supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've done that when it was an Instagram challenge. And that was about like five years ago, four or five years ago, that she started that as an Instagram challenge. And she was so excited that she basically found someone who knew Leila's book. And and so it was like, by this time, I'm going to be really honest. It took me, it was like, I think it was like a 28 day challenge or something that she put out, right? It took me almost a year to do that cuz it was so challenging to look at it and to just having to acknowledge all of this shit that we just didn't see and didn't know but have we just have to know it we have to go through why what is white privilege what is white fragility how does it play out how are our biases playing into our you know psychology and just our lenses how does it change our perspective how do we how are we so safe and how do we keep the safety up in the convenience for our own lives but don't support when it comes to like for example your own experiences just what you said it was just so i mean obviously it's like a thing that you don't want to acknowledge because that means you've done something really not something that you should be proud of on the other hand we just don't know what we don't know but once you know it you should just go change it right and that's what we should be doing right now right and i think it's just so important which is why i wanted to ask you this question a lot of people cannot imagine the difference and i personally believe that the difference for you as a black woman going through all of the sexual trauma, even though you're in America, has been very much more traumatic. And I don't want to compare trauma as in how heavy, how not, you know what I mean. It's not like a sort of competition. But to find the right support, to find people believing you, to find to be able to voice and then not having to hear over and over again people who blame you and shame you, I believe it was harder for you to go through all of that and took you more rounds and loops than it did take me. And that to me personally is just another, another level of, as you said, systemic racism an issue that we need to break down because it cannot be that there are people who live through trauma and do not get the support do not find people to believe them do not have the ability to go somewhere and explain what happened because that brings us to a point where we lose those people at some point maybe you know what i mean yeah
2: and I agree for, for Black women in America, we've been sexualized since we got here. And that has never changed. Like Black, little Black girls are sexualized and looked at as women before their, anytime they hit puberty, way before that. We have a history of where a white woman will go to the police and say, this Black boy whistled at me and that little Black boy will be murdered but if i am a young girl and i said these white boys rape me they're like oh well you know we want to we don't want to mess up their lives they made a mistake we want to you know let them be okay but i'm the one that was traumatized i'm the one that was assaulted but their their comfort is more important than my life and that's been my stance through this whole black lives matter movement is that your comfort is not more important than my life And you need to get out of being comfortable and understand that this is not about your comfort or what you're okay with dealing with. This is about we as black people have the right to exist as human beings and have a human experience just like everyone else. And the privilege that white people misconstrued is not about you having access to millions of dollars and I don't, it's about you not having to worry about because you're black, are you gonna make it home Because you're black, are you not going to be able to buy a house? Because you're black, are you possibly going to die going to the hospital to have a baby because the mortality rate of black women compared to white women is significantly higher in the U.S. than at any point in time in history? That shouldn't be the case, but most doctors think black people don't feel pain, which is incredibly asinine,ly stupid, but that's what they still believe to this day. They think our skin is thicker and we just don't feel pain. So if we say that we're hurting, we're not really hurting that much. We're fine. We can suck it up. We have this and and Tam who's in our group expresses it great in great, beautiful detail Mm -hmm. in her TED talk, toxic strength, where we're always have to be strong, always have to deal with stuff, but yet and still that trauma of internalizing toxic strength manifests itself in, um, in, uh, heart disease and cancer being the number one and number two killers of black women because we go through stuff and we don't have the support to deal with the traumas that have happened, not just in our lives, but generationally. It's a scientific study that was done that showed that there are mutations within uh, a family's genetic makeup through trauma from slavery where it's passed down, that trauma, that physical and mental trauma mutates genetically. And those things are passed down from generation to generation, but we haven't been able to move past it because people act like slavery, oh, well, that ended a long time ago. Well, actually, no, it didn't. It just transformed into Jim Crow and then it transformed into segregation and then it transformed into the prison industrial complex and now it's just transformed into white people not giving a fuck. So it's just it, it, it's a different name, but it's the same scenario that it just never stopped. So the traumas that we feel are stuff that we constantly have to heal from on a daily basis. And our bodies are not designed to, to systemically and continuously go through trauma. That's not how the human body was designed.
1: Yeah. And I want to just highlight one thing that is that because I feel like people need to understand that this is even a question is that is exactly the issue you said, like, as black people, you just want to have the same basic rights, basically, the, the basic existence that white people have and not have to worry to go out, not have to worry to be shot when the police is asking for a travel license, not to go out after 9 p.m. and and not getting home, not losing your son when they're joking, and and all these kind of things. And basically having the rights to live just like white people. And I want everyone who's listening and who is not black to just think about that because to having even have the conversation in 2020 and to have to ask for that is the issue. That is the issue. That is, that is the problem. And we, The white people have to help solve this problem. We are the people who are holding this up and we need to break it. That's just a fact. It's, it's, and this is just a 2020 (laughs) bullshit. So I just wanted to highlight that because we know there will always be idiots out there. That's, that's a fact. We, we can't get rid of all of those although that would be a nice world. We can try that in the next lifetime, maybe. But uh, but I'm talking to the people who are, and I said that in the beginning, in this ignorant state that is so blissful. And we have a black woman in Germany who wrote a book that's called Exist Racism. And it's in German, and she calls it the happy land. And the happy land is a place where white people live that are so ignorant to all the experience of black people, people of color, indigenous people, and their experiences. And they're basically the people who say like, oh, I don't believe that's actually true. There's no systemic racism, blah, 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 blah." all of this ignorance is bliss kind of thing. And, And she calls it the happy land. And she also says, once you leave the happy land, you can't go back. So I wanna invite everyone to leave your fucking happy land because you shouldn't be there don't get to live in a fucking happy land if everyone else around you black people people of color indigenous people are not able to live in a fucking happy land so until we create happy land for everyone you cannot live there
2: yeah burn your bits to the ground
1: that's right (laughs) let's burn let's burn shit down (laughs) right so I think uh, sometimes I get into this whole, Whoa! and I think it's a it's a good place to do though because people listen and then the, and hopefully they don't just push the pause button because they think, like, no, I don't want to hear that." Um, if you don't want to hear that, go back and listen again. That's my suggestion. So, who do you think should be reading your book?
2: I think. Women, particularly black women, women of color that have ever felt like they or even right now feel like they are unseen and unheard. That's that's my audience. That's who I speak to, because I'm speaking from a place where I just live too long, feeling unseen and unheard. And then I realized that the only way for me to be seen and heard was to give power to my truth and give power to my voice and be okay that is going to make people uncomfortable and that's okay
1: yep because uh, luckily Facebook still has the option to block people so yes Whoops. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I've unfriended Oops. and blocked people <laughs> left and right I'm like it's fine it's fine <laughs> yeah so it's 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 important for me especially now that because we're dealing with so much that it seems to still eclipse our existence because we have to deal with a pandemic we have to deal with white supremacy we have to deal with the earth still deciding whether or not it's going to keep us or not because it started to heal itself and then we were like yeah oh you healing no we're good now we don't need to care about you and I'm just like I feel like the earth is gonna give us one more chance <laughs> it's gonna be like I'm just gonna get rid of all of y'all y'all just keep messing me up <laughs>
1: <laughs> or maybe it's going flat now Right. Like, yeah, I have
2: no idea what's going on. So it's just like, you you just deal with so much that you, you tend to, and it's not even self care, but sometimes you tend to not acknowledge you and mm. not acknowledge that you are tired. You are afraid. You are exhausted. You are scared. You, you know, whatever it is that you need to feel, you don't really acknowledge that because you're not acknowledging you because you're just dealing with stuff. So, that's really who my book speaks to it speaks to my experience of just dealing with stuff and not acknowledging my existence
1: yeah i love that so much i can't wait i think i bought it already
2: yeah i think you did yeah
1: because people can buy it already
2: yes the
1: pre-order yes
2: (laughs) you can buy it on my beautifully simple MailChimp site that <laughs> her divine alchemy, I don't, it's a, it's a long list, but yeah, I have the
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's in, in the show notes below that everyone should click today. Yeah. Everyone. Um, and so what's the full name of the book?
2: Well, the full name of the book, which is not the actual website title, is going to be um, My Mosaic Life my pain, my peace, my promise, my pleasure, and the promises of God. So that just kind of breaks up the different elements that make up me and how I have come through this fantastic journey, good, bad, and ugly of life.
1: I love it. I love it. I have two more questions at the end, but the last before we get to the two questions, (laughs) the last before we get two more is if you could go back in time, would you change anything?
2: I would love myself and be gentle with myself a hell of a lot more than I did. And not to say I wouldn't make the same mistakes, but I would, I would have loved myself a lot better through them.
1: Mm. I love that. So I think, I mean, I I used to ask these two questions, all of my guests, so I'm going to ask them, but one of them may not be a, actually very relevant to you I'm still gonna ask it so in the name of the podcast what does efficiency mean to you
2: efficiency means to really prioritize Um, there can be no efficiency if there's no priority for things to get done and that doesn't mean that there has to be immediacy on everything But there has to be a priority of what comes in and what goes out. And without that that framework, then there can be no efficiency because everything is either important or everything is either not important. And you got to figure that out.
1: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I love that. Okay, last question. If you would have to push the reset button, but you keep all of the knowledge that you have, what are the three things that you would repeat doing so that you can get back to success, whatever success means to you?
2: I would have found a way to invest in Google. Now, (laughs) before now, before it's super expensive. (laughs) I would have, I would have, had my my family, we would have gone in together as a, a company and purchased some land that right now is making a killing. And then I would have made my mom take a lot more vacations in her life before she died. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I would have. Made-
1: She's going with you now together. Yes, <laughs> as soon that whole 2020 is over.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. This is like, as soon as they finish this game of Jumanji Game of Thrones, we'll be good. As soon as we just go ahead and decide, I feel like the last thing that's gonna happen now is the dragons are gonna come. I don't, I don't know where, but I just feel like this is gonna be any second. We're gonna just have dragons. Please don't
1: say it. They're usually in Asia. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, should I just lock myself back in here? Oh, wow. Sharita, it's been such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for opening up your story, your experiences, and all of your insights with us. It's been such a pleasure. And also, it's just really an honor to have you on.
2: Yes, it's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you so much for allowing me to share your space because I I love you immensely. I think you're one of the most authentic, awesome, intelligent, beautiful, and dynamic women that I have ever met. So I really appreciate you. And I appreciate getting to know you and knowing you and calling you a friend.
1: Aw, don't make me cry while I record. Thank you. All right. I need a tissue. And everyone else needs to subscribe to this podcast and check out the show notes and go buy this book. Yes, go buy the book. That's what you need to do. All right, everyone, you know what to do.
0: You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you, too, can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life Limitless. limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.